hope you're all having a, a great uh, long weekend. And again, thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning. What a delight it is to be with you um, and uh, your pastors, Brian and Jen. I love them so very much. And uh, I'm getting good reports from you. Have you all started to love them already? That's what I thought. They're just impossible not to love. They're that kind of people. And uh, they're doing a great job, and I'm very proud of them. And thank God for uh, the work they're doing here with you. And um, I want to thank you for standing strong. As you know, we assumed leadership of this church in January of 2015. And uh, you folks have been faithful. You have given us a chance and stuck with us. And uh, I want to thank you for that. God bless you so much for the work you're doing here in this city. This is a great area and getting better all the time. Man, life is good in Angleton, Texas. How many of you know that, right? And uh, good things are happening. Our area is growing. Uh, people are moving in. New freeways are being built. And um, that's a good environment. It really is a good environment to, to raise your family, build a business, uh, conduct a career. It's just a good place. Thank God for it. Uh, no place like Texas. If you can't do it here, you might not could do it anywhere. Because we, we've got it all going on, and we thank God for it. It's certainly not because we're good. It's because he's good, right? No doubt about that. So thank God for it. Well, in the precious moments that we have together today, I want to talk to you about the infinite value of the local church, the infinite value of the local church. When I was a small boy um, sitting in our little Pentecostal church in East Texas, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and spoke to my heart and called me into the ministry. One of the first uh, memories I have uh, and as a boy, and certainly the most profound experience of my life. Um, it was many years before I would ever tell my parents what had happened on that particular day. But in that moment, God called me to be a pastor uh, and to lead God's people as a shepherd. And so growing up in church, um, I knew what my teacher was like. And I realize that doesn't happen to everybody, uh, but it was it was uh, my story that I learned very early what my life would be like and what my uh, my future would be. And so um, it became like buoys as I was growing up through my tumultuous teenage years, making choices, uh, had lots of opportunities to do the wrong thing. Uh, but it was like buoys for me because I knew what my life was about and what God wanted me to do. So I have spent my life uh, working for God and, and serving God's people, and it's a good life and the only life I would ever want to live. Um, but I believe in the local church. Uh, I see the local church as being absolutely essential to every community and to every nation under the sun. And um, I believe there is infinite value in the local church. Uh, when you look at the impact that collectively local churches have on communities and regions and cities and nations, um, it is of infinite value. And when you go to regions of the country or regions of the, of the city where there are few Christian churches and or there are very ineffective, feeble Christian churches, 
uh, it is directly reflected upon the spiritual and moral climate of the environment. When you go to an area where there are strong local churches, thriving people uh, worshiping God together, uh, automatically there is more light of truth, more light of goodness, um, more salt of Christ than otherwise. So because of that, I believe that the church is virtually the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of every city and every community. And as goes the local church, so goes the city. If the churches are flourishing and thriving and doing well, the city tends to do the same. But when churches begin to struggle and begin to lose spiritual power and force, then it is directly reflected upon that community. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, Now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So you've got to understand that Jesus came to save unsaved people, to save the lost, to die for our sin and become our Savior in that regard. But having done that, he came to build a church. And the next step beyond salvation is getting into the church and becoming a part of his family and his body in the earth. So much of what Jesus came to do on this planet was build the church. The apostles picked up that mantle and continued to build the church in the first century. And here we are 20 centuries later and the church is still growing and thriving and doing well all around the world. Can you imagine a world without the Christian church? Can you imagine a world that had no Christians in it at all? Can you imagine a city with no Christians? Can you imagine a community with no local churches? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Darkness is natural. Light is supernatural. Light chases out darkness. But when the light goes out, the darkness returns because darkness is normal and light is supernatural. So Jesus said, I want you to be a light in your community. And the brighter we are as Christians, the brighter our churches are in terms of, of Christ, the more our communities are lit with truth, lighted with goodness, filled with love. He also said, you are the salt of the earth in Matthew chapter 5. You're the salt of the earth. And we know that salt plays an important role. Jesus used this as an analogy, how that salt adds flavor and taste. You know, you can, put, you can grill the finest steak money can buy. Um, and if you leave out the tiny ingredient of salt, it won't taste that well because everything needs flavor. Everything needs that additive. And so every community has to have a church for it to be salted and to be pleasing to God and be a healthy place to raise families. That's why I'm talking to you today about the infinite value of the local church. When the light goes out, the community becomes dark. Sin takes over, 
crime takes over, anarchy eventually takes over, and it becomes a very evil place. The government becomes corrupt. The school systems become ineffective. The less light you have, the more evil and wickedness ensues. The less salt you have, uh, the less there is character and quality in the hearts of the people. And Jesus said this, if the salt loses its flavor, if the salt no longer has the ability to impact its environment, then it's worthless. We just throw it out and uh, we just use it to tread on. It's worthless. And if the church loses her saltness, her flavor, her ability to impact her environment, then Jesus said, we are worthless. So on one hand, I've said to you this morning, there is infinite value to the local church. But on the other hand, if we lose our ability to influence our communities, then we are virtually worthless. Jesus came to build this kind of a church, not just in Jerusalem or just in Israel, but he came to build churches like this one all around the world. So the world would not be dark. The world would be filled with truth and goodness and righteousness. Our, the church is his body. And collectively, we make up the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his hands and feet. We are the presence of God in the earth. And he made it this way. When you and I were saved and we came into the, to the, the, the kingdom of God, we became a part of the body of Christ. He also calls us a family. We are his family. And we're all named after him because we're all in the same family. And this family tie is far greater than our natural ethnicity, far greater than uh, the family we were born in. Now God is our heavenly father. We have received his DNA. We are of his new ethnicity, and we are a part of his family. I want to encourage you to embrace the family of God around you. Certainly those that worship here with us from week to week, but even beyond that, in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your social organizations and other places where you work, embrace other children of God. In times past in America, we had the luxury to divide up by denomination, to separate according to distinctive doctrines. But those days are long over with. We cannot divide and separate according to denomination and doctrine. We need each other too bad. And if you haven't noticed, we're in the minority, and we're making less of an influence every day. So I want to encourage you to embrace other followers of Jesus Christ. For much of my life, we were able to divide between the Protestants and the Catholics. Most of the Protestants seriously questioned the salvation of Catholics. Well, I'm not giving you a theological discussion here today. I'm just telling you we better embrace Catholics and Protestants and anybody else that's a follower of Jesus Christ. We need everybody. So I want to encourage you to embrace the family of God, your brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of what uh, other Christian identities or camps they may be a part of. Unfortunately, it seems that America is in decline. She is in a moral and a spiritual decline for sure. If you're paying attention to what's happened in the last one to two decades, you would surely come to the same conclusion. But the church is not in decline. And because America might be taking the wrong road, 
it doesn't mean the church is going downhill. You see, the church is 2,000 years old, and she has survived empire after empire, dictator after dictator, collapse of nation and the rise of others time and time and time again. Because Jesus built a church that he said the very powers of hell would not be able to prevail against. When I see what's happening to America, it concerns me very deeply because I love this nation. But I don't go to bed at night concerned about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because he has given us the assurance that not only will we survive, but we will thrive. If you look at the history of the church, she has always done best in the margins. When she is center stage, and uh, the dominant religious expression, she often goes into sin and apostasy. But when she's in the margins, she tends to do well. Well, we have moved to the margins in America, and the church is going to do better and better. For most of my life, there was a fuzzy line between a Christian and a non-Christian. There was a fuzzy line between the people that really lived for God and the people that were just cultural Christians and didn't really have a personal relationship with him. But we're coming to a day when Christians are going to be more distinct, Christians are going to be more obvious, and there's no, not going to be any hidden Christianity, but it's going to be clear either you're a child of God or you're not. Either you've taken a stand for Christ, taken a stand for the Word of God, or you haven't. And that's the day that we are moving into. I tell you this with all sincerity and concern, that your faith is going to cost you more in the future than it ever has in the past. It will cost you more in the future personally to be a Christian than it may have in your previous life. Triumph Church Angleton is definitely not in decline. We are moving forward. It's our desire for this to be a church that is for all people. We believe that when Christ saved us, he made us a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation or ethnicity. Peter said, we are a people who were not a people, but we are now the people of God. And my first identity group is not my Caucasian heritage, but my first identity group is the blood of Jesus Christ, the family of God, and this new people that he caused us to be. It's my first identity. And I want this church to be reflective of the church in heaven. The church in heaven that John the Revelator saw was a church from every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue. I would like to see this church be reflective of the church in heaven. I also believe that a church should be a reflection of the community that it sits in. If that community, the, the demographics of that community should be seen on the church pews, whatever the racial blend is should be reflected on in the congregants of, of, a, of the church. This is our conviction, not condemning the world, just telling you what we, what we believe and what we think the church should be for us. So we believe the church ought to look like the, the community the demographics of the community. It should be blended as this community is. It should be reflective of the people that live here, not just their ethnicity, but their education, their employment, uh, the way they live. You see, 
church was designed to work in every community and in every culture and in every ethnicity. And the church should be a reflection of that wherever it is. And we want to see this church be a church for all people, not just the young or even just the old, but we believe that God wants us to be diverse in generation where the very youngest and even the oldest enjoy worshiping together in a current, relevant environment where the young are respected as well as the old. We want this to be a spirit-filled church. Um, the word spirit-filled um, is, is a distinctive. It, it classifies us as a group of Christians that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. It means that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in addition to salvation. It means that we operate in spiritual gifts according to the book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we are a spirit-filled church that must be spirit-filled and spirit-led. We're a Bible-believing church. Uh, we take the Bible as God's Word. We teach from it. We believe it. We live it with all of our heart. We spend our lifetime studying it to try to apply it to our lives. We're a Bible-believing church. I realize that there are Christians today that, that love Jesus, but they have excluded certain portions of the Scripture, like the king of old who took a penknife and began to cut out certain sections of the Scripture that he did not agree with or did not relate to or did not feel like was relevant to his day. He took a penknife and just began to cut out the unwanted, misunderstood portions. But we have no intentions of taking penknife to our Bibles and cutting away portions that we don't understand and we don't quite agree with. The Bible is God's Word. We take it for what it says. We believe it. We, we try to apply it to our lives. So this has got to be a Bible-believing church. This also has to be a soul-winning church, a church that is conscious that there are people around us that need Christ. There are people in our community that do not know Him and that desperately need a Savior. We have to build this church where it can be an on-ramp to people that need to be saved. It's easy to build a church that is just a, a collection of like-minded people. It's easy to build a church just that caters to saved people that already know Christ, that already know the routine, that's got the language and has a lifestyle, understands the Bible, and everybody speaks the same language. But then when people that haven't lived for Christ, that don't understand the Bible, that, that are not saved come in, they don't relate. They don't understand. They don't get it. It's not an on-ramp for them. It's a barrier. And they may not go to church or they may go to another church that might be designed in such a way where they can get on board. We want this church to be conducted in a way when someone comes in that doesn't know Christ that it's an on-ramp for them and it's easy for them to find salvation and to start walking with the Lord. A church that you can bring your friends and family to and feel safe. I don't know about you, but have you ever brought someone to church that you knew didn't know Christ and wasn't familiar with church routines and sit there just as nervous and scared as you could be that something unexplainable or embarrassing was going to happen and wonder what questions you were going to have to answer at the end of service? Have you ever had that experience? Well, raised in Pentecostal charismatic, I can tell you I had lots of those experiences. 
and uh, that's just the way it is. And the fact is, we want a church that is not scary, that is not offensive, that is not radical, that is not extreme, but a church where unbelievers can come and relate and hear a message that makes sense and have an experience that changes their lives. We want to be a soul-winning church. And I want to be the kind of church that you can proudly bring your family and friends and say, come worship with me this week. You'll find love and acceptance. It'll be a church service that you can relate to, you'll enjoy, and want to return to. That's our desire. We want a church that makes a difference in our community, serving, helping, and cast a very godly light upon the culture around us. How many of you want to be that kind of a church? I believe you do. Jesus put the fate of his church in the hands of his people. He came to earth, gave his life, paid the ultimate price, the maximum sacrifice, and then he ascended back into heaven, having left the fate of the church with the people. It was up to them to pick up the mantle, to pick up the mission, to catch the dream, to embrace the vision and run with it or not. I mean, Jesus could have gone through all he went through on earth, ascended to the Father, and the church could have been lost and forgotten forever, except that there were a handful of people that had been impacted by the love of God that embraced the vision and carried it forward. And that's why we're here 20 centuries later is because the people of God bought into the plan, bought into the vision, bought into the mission of winning the lost and building the church that Jesus came to build. And that's why we have endured and grown these 20 centuries. God put the fate of the whole church in the hands of his people. Look at with me at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. We see a, a model, a, a, a strategy here. Soon after Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, he took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus has an entourage, and they are going from village to village and city to city, and they're preaching the, the good news of the kingdom of God. They're healing the sick. They're bringing encouragement and life everywhere they went. But as you know, that costs money. As you know, that isn't free. The disciples and those that followed him, they, they didn't have financial backing. They didn't, weren't able to continue to do what they normally would have done to support their families. They were out there on faith following Jesus. Somebody had to buy groceries. Somebody had to pay for the whole thing. And so there were a company of women that had received such supernatural touch from God. Their hearts and lives had been forever changed. God had blessed them financially. And so from their personal finances, they began to support the ministry of Jesus. They began to finance his travels. 
how important these wonderful women were, how significant they are in the history of God's plan and the birth of the church. Women that had been blessed, that saw the need and saw a role that they could play that would make a difference. And as a result, Jesus was able to travel with dozens and dozens of people and to cover the entire region because these women had been touched by his power and as a result, freely gave into the work of God. The work of God has always been dependent on people's free will gifts. It just has. That's the way he built the whole church. Can you imagine a businessman starting a business, creating a business plan that was based on free will offerings? What people chose to give, not what they were commanded to give or demanded to be given, but just because they wanted to? Jesus knew this, that if he touched their hearts, if they had a valid encounter with him, that they would want to give. And he would build the whole church on that one thing. I'll bless them. I'll touch their hearts. They'll want to give. And whatever they choose to give, that's what I'll do the work with. And that's how it is even today. We are completely and absolutely dependent on the goodwill, the free will offerings of God's people. Not because you have to. Not because he threatens you with hell if you don't. But because he has touched your life, because he has loved you and forgiven you of your sin, we freely receive the offering week after week after week because that's God's plan. Let me tell you something. As pastors, we feel the pressure of that week after week. We know that we are completely vulnerable, that we are completely at the mercy of God's people. And just pray every Sunday that people wake up and say, Honey, let's go to church. And then after they get to church, they say, honey, let's give something in the offering. And our, the whole future of the church comes down to those little decisions. Honey, are we going to church today? Honey, how much should we give in the offering? And we live our lives with the responsibility of the church and the financial load of the church with that reality week after week after week. Because that's the way God designed the whole thing. That people would not be forced or coerced or threatened to give, but they would be so blessed in their heart they wanted to give. That's the principle that the New Testament church is built upon. And uh, that's the principle that has driven this church and put this in existence more than 20 years now. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Paul, and I'm just breaking into his teaching here to the church of 2 Corinthians. He said, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Wow, this is a magnanimous statement here. Paul is referring to the fact that Jesus as the Son of God was at the right-hand throne of the Father in the riches and the glory of heaven, where there are riches untold, where there is peace, love, and joy, and there is no interruption of that, where there is more than enough of virtually everything you could possibly need. At the throne of God is absolute, perfect, utopia, 
everything is perfect. So Jesus left this perfect environment where he had everything from glory to honor to peace, love, and joy, goals and, and gold and riches beyond your imagination, the perfect place of peace and prosperity. The Bible said he became poor. He came to earth. He was born of a teenage girl, raised by a surrogate father that was a poor laborer. He had no home. He had no a business. He was completely vulnerable, very poor man. But he was vulnerable to the goodness of God's people. He went around doing good, healing those that were oppressed by the devil. He went around loving people. And as a result, they reached into their purse and they brought money to the house of God and the work of God and financed what he was doing. So he was rich, but he became poor so you and I could become rich. Now, I believe when he talks about you and me becoming rich, he's talking about more than just finances there. He's talking about being rich in a new heart, a new life, a fresh beginning of salvation. He's talking about peace and joy and correct relationships that adds to our lives. And he's talking about provision for our life. He's talking about giving us the opportunity to go from barely enough to more than enough. So my point is, he was rich but became poor. You and I were poor so that we now can become rich. This is God's plan. This is how he carries out the work of God throughout the ages. We are partners together. Um, we are in the ministry. God has called us to build the church, lead God's people, shepherd God's people, and it's a high and a wonderful calling. We are partners. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul refers to this unique and dynamic relationship between the ministry, those that lead the church, and the congregation. He said, every time I thank you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began this good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Can you say amen? So Paul writes the letter and to the people of God that have supported his ministry and helped him to spread the gospel over the entire Asia matter for 20 to 30 years. And he said, you're my partners in the gospel. At this point, Paul is in prison. He has been in prison for preaching the gospel. And the fact is, he realized that if it were not for his partners, he could not be doing what he's doing. Those partners that had prayed for him, interceded for him, and held him up before the Lord, those partners that had served him and, and aided him and assisted him, equipped him and supplied him, those people that had sent money to finance the work of God under the Apostle Paul's hand, those people that had preached the gospel in places that he had not gone, that had raised up local churches where he had planted them. He said, you are my partners in the gospel. You and I as a people of God, we're partners in this together. 
It's not my deal. It's not your deal. It's God's deal. And we're all in this together, and we are partners in the work of God. Churches rise and fall based on this partnership, based on the people making a commitment of people that believe in the mission and the call and leaders that understand what God wants done in their day. I want to read to you our mission statement. This is the central purpose passion of Triumph Church for more than 30 years. Here is our mission statement. This is why we exist. Our mission at Triumph is to build a thriving church of growing Christians who are discovering their divine destinies, sharing their faith with others, and making an impact for Christ on Southeast Texas and the world. Now hold it there, Drew. This is our mission, to build a thriving church. Um, you know what a church is, but picture the word thriving. Thriving is a beautiful word. It, it brings a picture, an image in your mind. You know, if you have a plant in, at your home somewhere that is thriving, it is lush, it is green, it's growing, it's bearing fruit, or it's blossoming, and it just looks like it is bursting with life. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a thriving church. How many of you want to be a thriving church? Thriving church. A thriving church of growing Christians. One of our core values is growth, personal development. We're not just trying to get saved and hang in there. We want to grow. We want to mature as individuals. I don't want to be what I was last year. I want to grow this year and be something more that God wants me to be. And we want our people to be growing and developing. Whatever walk of life you're in, whatever your career, whatever your dreams or endeavors might be, we want to help you grow into that and, and grow into the things that God has for you. So we don't want to just be saved and all go to church together, but we want each one of us to be growing and maturing and moving together uh, in the things of God and His call on our lives. He goes on to say that are discovering their divine destinies. You see, the Bible teaches that each and every one of us have been created by God, chosen by God, and destined by God. That our lives are not accidental, our lives are not just random, but carefully planned by the Creator Himself. Even before I was born, the Bible said He knew me. He formed me and shaped me in my mother's womb, and He had a plan for my life. And we want to help people find their divine destiny, find their plan. What is my life about? Why am I here? What do I contribute? What role do I play in this great partnership with God? What was I born for? So our great desire is to help people find that and to pursue those destinies. Then he went on to say, sharing their faith with others. You know, if God's good, tell somebody. If God's real, share your experiences with somebody. If the church is the real deal and everybody needs one, then help your friends and family find it. We've got to be sharing our faith. Now, statistics, for whatever they're worth, say that most people win people to Christ immediately after their salvation. But somewhere along their walk with God, they stop witnessing, they stop sharing their faith, and they stop winning people to Christ. I just think this shouldn't be. Part of the reason is that, you know, when you first get saved, you kind of 
fish out your pond. You know, you kind of witness to all your family and friends. They either get saved or they don't get saved. And then you kind of back away because you've already fished out the pond. So when you kind of fished out your pond, you know, your immediate family, your extended family, people you work with, your neighbor next door, you've got to start creating out, you've got to reaching out to new new networks and circles of people. You've got to have a personal culture that said, I'm always adding new people to my world so that I can win them to Christ. It's important that we are sharing our faith. Let me encourage you to invite people to this church. It doesn't mean that People can't get saved anywhere, anytime, any place that, that God calls their heart. It just means that the house of God is the optimum place. You can have a baby in the back seat of a car, but I don't recommend it. You really need to get to a hospital, I would think. And you can get saved in the back seat of a car, but I recommend you go to church. And you, you're birthed into a family where people can love you and teach you and and help you get there. So let me encourage you, don't stop inviting people to church because you're saved and your immediate family saved and you've kind of got your world in order. Enlarge your world and reach out to other people. Build new friendships, new relationships so that God can use you there. So thank God for um, our mission statement. And in doing all of this, we want to make an impact on Southeast Texas and the world. Um, your giving allows us to support the work of God in more than 20 nations. We have mission missions that reach virtually around the world, touching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're a part of Churches in Covenant, which is a large group of churches like yours and mine. And uh, we put our money together so that we can have the leadership and the structure we need to touch various nations of the world. In the future, I'll talk to you more about that. Uh, heretofore, uh, the missions of this church has been focused mostly on Kenya. Thank you for your giving this year, supporting those great churches, and uh, making uh, their churches work for in Kenya. It's a great work. We honor them. They're doing a, a wonderful job. Our founding pastor, Gary, uh, had that vision in Burton and and uh, put that in you, and we celebrate that. And everything you give to Kenya goes to Kenya, and it always will. So thank God for that. But because we're together and we're putting our finances together, it gives us the privilege to reach out uh, and to touch the world uh, together um, as a church. So this is a primary part of what we are all about. And so we're partners together, and we're totally dependent on it. And, um, you know, I've experienced God's faithfulness, and I've in my lifetime I've experienced the faithfulness of God's people. I've been doing this a long time, and uh, I can tell you that week after week, God's people have been faithful, generous, and giving. And through down economic downturns and, and through times of great prosperity, God's people have always been faithful and have sustained the work of God. And I thank God for it. Week after week, we pray for God to bless you and give you opportunity and give you raises and bonuses and contracts and opportunities to do well because this is the way God made it, a partnership. You know, money doesn't fall out of the sky into the offering plate. He blesses his people and his people freely share that blessing. It is a partnership. 
You know, when I say God bless the church, I'm talking about God blessing you because none of us can give what he has not blessed us to give with. So God's plan is he blesses the people and they willingly bless the house of God and bless the work of God. And that's the plan, the partnership that God established from the beginning, and that's it. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your giving. It's absolutely essential to the work of God. Um, theoretically, churches live and die by the goodwill gifts of God's people. And when people start giving, the church blows down every time. It doesn't matter how big and grand it was at some future date. When the people stop giving, when they stop contributing, uh, the partnerships break down and churches go away because that's the way God wanted it to be. He wanted the people to give freely and lovingly and generously because God had been so good to them, they, it was their desire. That's why Paul could say God loves a cheerful giver. Thank God for it. And so, um, you know, I want to give you a little report. I, I, when I come to be with you, I like to kind of give you a catch-up on where we are. I know we have some wonderful guests here today, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to meet you. I look forward to seeing you after service. But when I come, I like to kind of give you an update on where we are. I mentioned earlier today that we assumed leadership of this church in January of 2015. Last year was a great year, and we were able to uh, pay our bills and to sustain the work of God and to move the church forward. Thank God for all the wonderful people that stood strong and, and firm and uh, were loving and generous to the work of God and made that happen. But we knew that the first year, Triumph Church at large was going to have to subsidize the, this church to make it work. Previously, the church worked because there was no full-time pastor here receiving any compensation at all. And so for you to have a full-time, fully focused pastor, it was going to take a compensation package in the same, as you would expect. And so last year, uh, Triumph Church at large gave about 25% of the income into this church to make 2015 balance out. So 25%, 25 cents on every dollar came from Triumph Church at large to get this church to the place where it could be self-sustaining. Every congregation has to be self-sustaining and self-sufficient. So here we are eight months into the second year, and we have made some progress, but not a lot. Triumph Church is, at large is still uh, subsidizing the income of this church and holding us together. We are about the same exact place we were uh, last year at this time, uh, just a few dollars off. So our giving is about level from 2015 to 2016. We are just about level. Our weekly note here on this beautiful building is $3,500 a week. That means every Monday morning we have to send off $3,500 a week. Not hope so, maybe sometime every Monday, 52 times a year, we have to send off $3,500. Now, um, I don't know if you understand the, uh, the, the workings of a church finances, but that's very difficult. That's very high and we're struggling to get that done. Our weekly income the first part of the year was more like $5,500 uh, a, a week, um, and for the summer it dropped down to like 4300 That's really not uh, inconsistent with what happens. In the summer, people go to church less, and therefore less money comes in because church giving is almost always directly tied to church attendance. 
And so when people go on vacations and they back off some, our numbers go down a little bit, automatically the numbers just go down with it. Their finances go down with it. So you can see uh, when we get to the summer, we're in deep trouble uh, financially, and there's just simply not enough money coming in to cover our expenses. Um, we want to move towards solvency. And again, I want to thank you people for being loving and kind and faithful. You know, I contend that, first of all, our, 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 the building note is higher than this congregation can handle. Uh, it's just a, it's a little bit out of sync. Have you ever had a, a, a note that was a little too high for your income? Well, that's kind of where we are right now. And we just need more loving, faithful families like you, and we'll be fine. Uh, we've got enough building here, and it's a great city. We just have to win some new families and bring them in the house of God, and we'll be fine. And Triumph Church is happy to support you in that and, and, and to, to continue on this. Uh, but obviously, we have to move quickly toward a place of solvency. And so as we look at the rest of this year, uh, I want to encourage you to, um, to give the rest of this year freely from your heart, not by compulsion or pressure, but just because you love God, you love this house, and you want it to work. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pay, to promise the Lord that you would pay a full tithe for the remainder of this year. We're not asking for extra offerings. We're asking you to pay a full tithe for the rest of this year. I just believe that each and every one of us, if we would pay a full tithe for the rest of this year, uh, we would be in a much different place at the end of the year than otherwise. And so, again, I just want to ask you to make a promise and say, you know what, I'm going to pay a full tithe. Pastor Ryan mentioned today how that, you know, the way our world works is uh, it's a lot of automatic expenses. Like the way the world works is if you have a health club membership, they're going to take it out of your bank account every month. If you have Netflix, you're going to pay it every month. And, and uh, the same thing is true about the church. Um, it, the more of us that have automatic donations made, it, takes, it, it doesn't matter whether we come to church or not. We're taking care of the house of God, and we're taking care of the work of God. And if there's some way that you could trigger that in your life, it's much better for you, and it's much better for the church. It's the way the world works. You can do that on the app. You can do that from your phone. You can do that from the website. There's a number of ways that can happen, but I encourage you. I've done it for years, and I uh, wouldn't want to do it any other way. My personal pattern of giving is I give my tithe automatically, or electronically, and then uh, the money I gave today in the offering is my offering. The offering is over and above. The tithe is my 10% on my increase. The offering is what I give over and above in that. And I just want to encourage you to make a promise to um, spend the rest of the year and say, I'm going to promise the Lord by the best of my ability, I'm going to be a full tither for the rest of this year. And um, if you'll do that, it's going to make a major difference uh, in our finances this year. And if you can give more and above that, God bless you as the Lord has blessed you as you're able. Do and the Lord will bless you and give it back to you tenfold. And, and then, of course, invite your family and friends. Invite people to the house of God. Share your faith. Share the goodness of God and the good things God is doing in this church. And uh, all we need is a few more families, and we can break through to that point of being uh, fully uh, solvent as a church. Will you do that? You know, um, I'm asking, if you can give me that hand clap, I'll take that. <laughs> Ushers, if you'll pass out these cards, uh, here's my promise. Pastor, I promise to do my very best to pay a full tithe to Triumph Church Angleton 
for the remainder of 2016. If you'll just do this, promise to pay a full tithe for the remainder of 2016, I'll be able to come back and give you a much better report if you'll do that. So pass out the cards, if you will. And they're already out? Okay, they're already out. Take your card and, and, and write your promise. I promise to do my very best to pay the full tithe to Triumph Church Anglican for the remainder of 2016. Now, this card is not going to, like, uh, obligate you. This is a promise you're making to the Lord. And, um, but, it, you know, I've found that if I don't make a commitment, if I don't write it down, if I don't sign my name to it, it's easy for other things to get in my way and for me not to fulfill something that I really intend to do and want to do. So this is just a way uh, for, for us to, to, for you to say, I'm making a promise, and uh, to the best of my ability, this is what I'm going to do. And so I want you to make that, and we're going to try and pick it up a little bit. Now, what this does for us, it lets us know that we, we got you on board, that you're with us, and that we can look forward to this fall and look forward to recovering, uh, making up some ground financially. Here's what we're going to promise you. You promise to be faithful to God and, and bringing a full tithe, and here's what we'll promise to you. First of all, we're going to be continue to be extremely frugal. You'll have a hard time finding a single penny wasted in this church or spent unnecessarily. We make decisions that we feel like will bless you as a congregation, move the church forward, and attract new people. And like any other business endeavor, you have to spend money to make money. You've got to put something in to get something out. But we are being extremely frugal, and every single expenditure is carefully planned to directly benefit this church and move us forward. Also, we're going to pray for God to bless you. You know, I don't want anybody giving something to the church and then suffering in their own personal life. The last thing I want is for somebody to put money in the offering and their kids not have clothes to wear or food to eat. Nobody wants that. Um, and so we're asking God to bless you so that whatever you give, whatever you submit to the Lord, that you never feel it, that God blesses you so that you have what you need. It doesn't mean that sometimes we don't sacrifice for the work of God, that we don't cut back personal expenses and, and do away with some things we really don't need anyway. But God is not asking us to take food out of our children's mouths to bless His kingdom. He said, I want to bless you so that never has to happen. So we're going to pray for God's blessing to be upon you financially. We're also going to conduct the very best church we know how to conduct. We're going to have the very best church we know how. And as you bring your family and friends, we want them to be touched by the Lord, touched deeply in their heart. And then finally, we're going to do everything we can to attract new families to the church. We're going to do everything we can to attract new families. And that's really the key for us getting where we want to go. So today I've talked to you about the infinite value of the local church, the infinite value that this church has to you and to this community. And I've asked you to help us. I've been very candid and upfront since our very first talk about where we are, where we're going, and today I've shared that with you. And I hope that it'll, it'll help you and encourage you um, as you give and as you support this work of the Lord. Can you say amen? All right. <clears throat> Let's stand together. And I want to pray a prayer over you. Um, Father, I thank you that you have blessed us here in America and that we live at a level that no other society on the face of the earth has had the privilege to live. I thank you, Lord, that by and large we live in luxury and abundance. 
And I pray, Father, for every person here today that you would bless them extremely. For this church cannot be blessed until they first are blessed. I pray, Lord, for raises and bonuses and contracts and, and commissions and, and opportunities to do well in their life so their families would be blessed and the house of God would be, their needs would be met. I pray a blessing on them this fall season that their expenses would be low and their income would be high. I pray for every tither, Lord, that the devourer would be rebuked in their life, that they would not lose money to sicknesses and to car repairs and to all the other things that happen in our lives that adds no benefit to just a devouring situation. I pray, God, that the devourer would be rebuked and the blesser would be loosed upon God's people. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Gentlemen, come receive our cards and... Uh, we're going to be able to kind of get a feel from this of where we are and where we're going. Thank you so very, very much. Okay, I'll take a little music back here if I get it. And, uh, you know, we, we, we did an altar, we did a, a, an altar invitation after the worship because I knew where I was going here today and I thought that, that environment was going to be best for you. So we've come to the close of the service today and I want to thank you very much for uh, giving me this time. Let me share my heart with you. Um, if you're a guest here, I sure want to meet you personally and be able to spend just a few moments with you before you go. And I hope that you'll want to come back and um, give this church a chance to touch and bless your life. Uh, so God bless all of you. Thank you, Pastor Ryan and Jennifer, doing a great job. I love them very much. Proud of them. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May goodness and mercy follow you wherever you go. May the Holy Spirit overshadow you, lead you, guide you, guard you, empower you, and bless you, and make you a blessing to this city. I pray this blessing on you all in Jesus' name. Amen.